you know, we should live every day as though the Lord's going to rapture us home and be prepared every day. But let me tell you what, uh, we don't want to set a date either. And uh, we know the season and the time, but we don't know the actual day and hour. And uh, so let's be careful going ahead and putting a day and an hour on that uh, so that we can constantly stay ready for the return of the Lord. But let me tell you what, this is good. I love it. I love it. The signs in the heavens do bring our, get our attention. And I believe it gives us an opportunity to go to the Word of the Lord and get clarity and understanding. So people have been asking me, you know, uh, is God a God of judgment? Is God a God of judgment? And we're going to let the Word of God answer that this morning because the last thing I'm going to allow as your pastor, as your shepherd, is for the enemy to come in through an open gate of fe- and bring fear in because God has not given us the spirit of fear. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Come on now. And we're not to allow a spirit of fear that God doesn't give to come into our life and to bring its torment that the Bible says it brings. Uh, we, we are to live in faith and we're to live in power and we're to live with an understanding of what God has uh, for us, of what God is doing and is yet to do. And I think that's one of the reasons He's called us to gather together and to study His Word so that His Holy Spirit can bring instruction and revelation and illumination so that we have a better understanding and with greater confidence we can live our lives to be light and salt that He's called us to be. So we're going to be looking at this this morning as God, a God of judgment, and we're going to let the Word of God speak to us. But let's ask the author of the Word of God, who is here, he is present, uh, to bring forth a clarity and understanding and remove any veil off of our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear what the Word of God truly says, that as we hear the Word, faith can arise. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name to gather together with your sons and daughters, Lord God. We're stronger together. One of us can put a 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000. Lord God, that means 20 of us can put 10 septillion. And God, I can't even go any higher than that. So Lord, we just thank you for the power and the unity and the exponential that's available here. We want to come together in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Jesus, you're Lord, you're Savior, you're God, you're King, you're you're the one that has brought forth uh, your word for you are the word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now, God, to come in your spirit to bring uh, illumination and understanding as we study your word. And conviction is conviction is needed, Lord God, so we can align with your word. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory for everything that will be accomplished here. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 So we ask the question, is God a God of judgment? And uh, so let's look at what the word of God has to say about that. And uh, in Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11, says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy the sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light, and the sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Wow. Now if we just stop right there, we all need to go and start licking each other's wounds because we're in trouble. We are in trouble, right? If we just stop right there. Because the prophet is prophesying and a prophet sees from mountain peak to mountain peak. So he's seeing in the future 
that there is a judgment that God is going to bring on this earth and the sinners of this earth. Now, between mountain peak and mountain peak, the prophecies never tell us exactly how much time is going to be involved in going from one place to the other, but he's showing us from what God says is yet to happen. So we see that there is a judgment coming that God is bringing to this earth. We go to Mark chapter 13, verse 24 and following, and Jesus says, but in those days after that tribulation... So he's telling us now when this judgment is coming, it'll come after this tribulation, that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the earth will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So Jesus is affirming what the prophet said, that there is a great uh, judgment coming, and, uh, but it will be coming after the tribulation when the Son of God comes in power and glory. Now in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, we see, he says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So here we got John the Revelator telling us that what he saw was the fulfillment of this which Jesus said he would be doing of that which the prophet Isaiah prophesied would happen. So I believe it would be very, very clear from the Scripture just on this one judgment that God is a God of judgment. But what we need to get a better understanding is that there's more than one judgment mentioned and taught in the Bible, and we need to get an understanding of how they fit in the chronological order so that we know what has happened, what is happening, and what is yet to happen. So we're answering this question today, what are the different judgments in the Bible? What are the different judgments in the Bible? And uh, for we know in Psalms 45 and 6 that the psalmist says that uh, God is a God of justice. He says a scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. So God is a God of justice and with that comes judgment. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said himself that he, him, he has been given the responsibility as his assignment by the Father to judge. So John 5 and 22, Jesus says the Father, he, he judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. For the Son came and lived with us and walked in shoe leather like we've walked and, and, and his false sin off, like the temptation of sin, like temptation of sin comes to us. So Father God says, you have been where they have been. You have walked through the very dusty roads that they walked through of life. And I'm going to give you, I'm entrusting you the judgment uh, of, that is yet to, for, for judgment that is to come. And then in Revelation 5 and 4, it says, you know, when John was up there, he said there the, the father sat on the throne and he had the scroll in his hand and there was no one worthy. They kept crying, who is worthy to open the scroll? And he said, I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Hallelujah. Here we see Jesus standing there as though he had been slain. 
Here's the resurrected Jesus with marks in His body still of the crucifixion. And He having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then He came and He took the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. So here John is saying, no one was worthy but Jesus Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll and we know when the scroll opens there's judgment that proceeds and we know that Father God is not judging but has given that to His Son to do. We see all of the scripture connected here. But there again we must understand that there are many judgments that the Bible talks about. So let's look at them in three different categories. The first category we're going to look at past judgments. Then we're going to look at present judgments and then future judgments. As we look at past judgments, we see the very first one was the judgment of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, you remember when God banished them from the Garden of Eden and for violating His clear command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that judgment, according to Genesis 3, tells us that it would go on and parts of it would affect the earth until the cleansing and the renewal and the rebirth that God will bring to this earth. Romans 8 actually talks about that in verse 20. He says, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation yet groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So there was this judgment that came on Adam and Eve and that, that Adamic nature that passes even unto us when we're born today. That's why a little baby is born. You don't have to teach that little baby to be selfish. You don't have to teach that little baby to irritate you and get under your nerves. You don't have to teach that little baby to, to uh, you know, tell a lie when they start telling. They'll say, did you do that? And the first word they can say, no, no, no. You know, it's just that Adamic nature that we're all born in sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we can be born again. We were born in sin. A part of this judgment here has affected even the earth that we live in to this day. But you and I who place our faith in Jesus Christ can be born again. And let me tell you what, we can live in a supernatural uh, connection with God now, even here on this earth. But yet the earth will still, weeds will push up through concrete and push up through asphalt without any sowing, without any attempt of nurturing it. While your garden, you water it, you love it, you whisper to it, you, you give it its miracle grow, and it still has a hard time giving you fruit and vegetables because of this judgment that is still passing on in the earth where the earth is still with labors, groans and labors and birth pains even unto now, Paul says. So there was this, this judgment uh, that Adam and Eve brought. Then there's this judgment of the past that, may, uh, that, that, that we see is the judgment of the antediluvian world, and that was before the flood. Uh, uh, when the, you know, everything was happening and sin was growing and people were turning against God and there was no one righteous to be found except Noah. And the Bible says God it, it repented that He even made man and He comes in and He brings a flood and, uh, and, and Noah and his family and the animals that were in the ark and the ark representing safety and salvation that God was providing uh, for us. 
uh, were saved, uh, and that judgment came, and, and the earth was, was basically cleansed, and the peoples of that day were destroyed because of that judgment. Then there's a third judgment the Bible talks about, and that's the judgment of the Tower of Babel. You get to Genesis 11, after the flood, the ark has landed, and they come out, and God gives uh, Noah and his family instructions. He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want you to replenish the earth, refill the earth. And uh, generations went on. They got to the valley of Shinar, and everything was plush and easy living, and it was just so easy there. They're like, we're not going any further. We're not going any further. We're going to stay right here. But then someone reminds them, you remember last time uh, we, we as a people disobeyed God, a flood came. And someone else argued, yeah, but he gave us a rainbow and he said that'll never happen again. He's not going to flood the whole world. Someone else came back with an argument and said, yeah, but we're in a valley. So he doesn't have to flood the whole world. He can keep his promise, but he can flood us out. So we're going to build a tower. So they started building this tower, the Tower of Babel. And God brings judgment on them and, and causes their languages to be confused. And because of that, that causes a, a, a dispersing of them as they went into the four corners of the earth with the languages that they could understand. So it caused them to leave the Valley of Shinar and to keep going forward in advancing what God had called them to do. Then there's another judgment past tense that we find in the Bible. And that was the judgment uh, that God brought on Egypt and their gods. And you see that in Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 12 about how the ten plagues and the judgment that came on Egypt as they had the children of God in slavery and bondage for hundreds of years and, and there was a stubborn and they were... Uh, Pharaoh said he was not going to do what God told him to do and so judgment came on Egypt and their gods. So well, that's a past judgment that took place. And then finally, there's a judgment which we call the judgment of believers' sins. Believers' sins. And, uh, and, and we see that there was a judgment that's past tense. You need to understand this. There's a past tense judgment that has already been rendered, and that was for believers. If you're a believer, this was for your sins. Somebody say, thank God. It's past tense. Hallelujah. Look at Isaiah 53 and 4. He says, surely Jesus has borne our griefs. He's prophesying. And he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Yeshua that is, come, that is to come. He said, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from, and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken." Here, the prophet is prophesying that Yeshua, the Messiah, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to take the judgment for his people upon himself. And when Jesus came and he went to the cross and his crucifixion and his death, he took our judgment upon him. He suffered death so that by the grace of God that he might taste death for everyone. We read in Hebrews 2 and 9. So he came and he suffered the death 
And this is not a physical death, but the eternal death, the separation from God. He, he suffered that so that by the grace of God, he might taste that death for everyone so that we don't have to be judged and separated from God for eternity. Hallelujah. So uh, we read in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, what does the Bible say? That Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law for becoming a curse for us. For it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Let me tell you what, Jesus took our judgment upon him. We need to rejoice in the fact that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear what is yet coming upon a sinful world and a world that has turned its back on God and a world that has declared there is no God. We don't have to stand in the fear and the trembling that they do because as believers, we are secure in Christ Jesus. It should make us want to love on Him. It should make us want to praise Him. It should make us want to shout out His name. It should make us want to tell others about Him. It should make us want to live right, talk right. It should make us want to serve Him and bless Him and be a part of advancing His kingdom because no one else took our judgment upon themselves. No one else paid our, the debt that we owed. Jesus took care of it. Come on now. Jesus took care of it. And if you can't appreciate that, then you are blinded and you are somehow or another, you're numb to the truth of the revelation and the joy that God brings to us through that revelation and the peace that He brings through that revelation that in Christ, in Christ, you are the righteousness of God, that the judgment that is coming upon this earth is not coming upon you. Hallelujah! Why? Because you're that good? No! Because Jesus is that good and you have placed your faith in Him. Hallelujah. Our sin was judged at the cross. That's why Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now, what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? I can't answer that for you. But if I were sitting in your seat, and I am, I would say, yes! Yes! Jesus is my Lord! Jesus is my Savior! Jesus is my Redeemer! Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords! I serve Him! Hallelujah! Praise God! So we see these past judgments. There are five of them that we mentioned here. And that last one is the believer's sin. Jesus has already taken our judgment. Praise God. Now moving on into the present tense, as we study judgments in the present tense, in this church age that we live in, that was started on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. He is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this church age, there are two judgments that we need to look at. And the first one is self-evaluation. It's a judgment where we examine ourselves. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says, first you need to examine yourself. Oh, how we love to examine others. We love to examine others. But the Bible says you need to examine yourself. You let the other folks examine themselves, but you examine yourself. 
In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it tells us that we as a church are to help each other, hold each other accountable and have a, have a, a way of making sure we encourage each other in this accountability and examination. That if a brother offends you, that you're to go to that brother. It tells you exactly how to do it. And, and talk to them. If they won't receive you, then you take an, a, a witness with you and two witnesses with you. Uh, and then it becomes a church issue because it's so important that we judge ourselves. Because when Jesus has done everything that He has done, He is not going to let us trample underfoot His provision of righteousness in and through His person and work for us by saying, now we'll just trample that underfoot and we'll act as the heathen act and we'll treat each other as the heathens treat each other. He said it doesn't work that way. He said if you have full understanding and revelation and appreciation for me taking your judgment, now you have the responsibility to constantly examine yourself to make sure that you're lining up with the will and the word and the teaching and the, and the leading of the Spirit of God and that you're part of a church that helps hold accountability among ourselves so that we're not uh, uh, taken and deceived by the enemy. So that's, these are the judgment of self-evaluation. In this present tense, there's another, uh, self, uh, there's another judgment, and that's divine discipline. It's a divine discipline. And the writer of the Hebrews talks about this in chapter 12, and he makes this analogy of a loving father. Come on, say loving father. Come on, emphasize loving father. Because that's what the Bible emphasizes. As a loving father corrects his children, so the Lord disciplines his own. Now, does a loving father put disease on his child to teach him a lesson? Does a loving father cause his child to starve to death in order to teach him a lesson? A loving father. Now, there are fathers that probably have done that, but a loving father. It says the Bible says that, that God, as a loving father, disciplines his children. He says the same way the Lord disciplines us so that he brings us into that place of repentance and restoration if we have sin in our life, that it brings us to a place of correction. And in doing so, he makes a distinction between us and the world, he says here in this scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.32. He says, when we are judged in the way, this way by the Lord, he says we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. There is a condemnation and a judgment coming on the world, and God does not want us to get into that. He doesn't want us to come under that. So he divinely disciplines us as a loving father disciplines his child. Uh, Revelation 3 and 19 says, Whom Christ loves, he chastens. So we know in Revelation 3 and 19 that the Lord, if he loves you, he chastens you, he disciplines you. He's not putting disease on you. He's not putting iniquity on you. He is not putting infirmity on you. He is giving reproof and correction so that he can help you. I know we sit around in our house and if one of us gets out of order, let's say one of my children say something they shouldn't say, I say, uh, you know, we shouldn't talk like that. We shouldn't say that or we shouldn't talk about people or whatever it is and they, and, you know, because that's displeasing to the Lord and can you see how that would bring harm? And they're like, yeah, I am so sorry. I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, did I give them leprosy? No, I just gave them correction and they humbly receive that. That's what we're to do from the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Say divine discipline is good. Divine discipline. Yes, divine discipline is good. 
Now we get into some of the scary stuff that the devil tries to use to bring fear into our life, and we're going to shine the light on it of correction so that there is no opening for fear in our life, and that is future judgments. Future judgments, we're going to wrap up with these. And the first one that we're going to look at is the judgment of the tribulation period. Yes, there will be a great tribulation. Yes, the Word of God does tell us even in great detail of what this tribulation period is going to be like. You read chapter 6 through 16 of Revelation and you will find out greater detail of the great tribulation. These are terrible judgments and they're pictured in the seven seals being opened up and the seven trumpets being blown and the seven bowls of wrath being poured out. This is God's judgment against the wicked against the wicked let me let me don't no, don't have any doubt in your mind here he is going to bring judgment and wrath against sin he's a righteous god remember the psalmist said as we opened up he rules his kingdom with a scepter of righteousness and justice so he's going to balance the scales out the, there may be those that throw their finger up to the face of God and curse God and say there is no God and, 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 and have totally redefined what morality is thinking they can get by with it. But let me tell you what, there will come a final settling of that. There will be a great tribulation. You can't stop it and I can't stop it. And God is going to be punishing sin and, uh, and it's going to... And, and it's going to, the Bible says, even during this, and it's going to bring the nation of Israel to repentance. So that that covenant that is with God and Israel, you're going to see a crying out to Jesus as the Messiah of great repentance that's going to take place. And we rejoice in the salvation of that is going to take place through that. But there is a great tribulation that is a judgment that is yet to come. Then there is a judgment seat of Christ, a judgment seat of Christ. And this is the resurrected and raptured believers in heaven who will be judged for their works. So that, listen, while this tribulation is taking place, the Bible says that you and I will not be here. The reason we will not be here is because of that believer's judgment, that believer's sin judgment that Jesus took upon himself. Remember, it's already been done, that fifth one on the past judgments. Because of that, we don't have to go through the tribulation judgment. That there will be a rapture in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with him. So there's a rapture yet to take place. Is it going to take place tomorrow at 2.32 when, the, when there's an eclipse? I don't know. I say it may take place before I finish this sermon this morning. It is imminent and we should always be ready and be very careful marking an hour and a day and saying that's when it's going to happen. If I believe in the eschatology of God and if I see the, the feasts of God, that there's a fall feast of Rosh Hashanah coming and if there's anything that lines up with the rapture, Rapture, it will be the Feast of Trumpets that is yet to come up in September. So, but there again, that will be a season and a time and a season, but not the day or the hour. So we're going to be very careful not to do that. We're going to have integrity with the Word of God and not get into sensationalism and try to uh, pump people up and try to get something out of them or whatever people do to do that, which only goes to show they have a lack of integrity in the Word of God after it does 
doesn't happen. We need to be ready. As Paul said, the Lord could come back at any moment, but we who do understand the Word of God will know the season. We will know that time. And uh, that's what the, the feast, the four fall feasts or three false feasts has not yet uh, been fulfilled. That's yet to be fulfilled like the four uh, spring feasts have been fulfilled. We're going to see Rosh Hashanah. We're going to see the Feast of Trumpets fulfilled one day. Uh, there will be a, a, the trump sound of God. The, the dead in Christ is going to rise first and we who are alive and remain going to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. And when we do, there is a judgment seat of Christ that takes place. These are the resurrected and raptured believers in heaven being judged for their works. Now get this, this judgment is not a judgment of sin and punishment. But this is because Christ has already paid for that, right? It is a judgment on our faithful service to the Lord. Did you know you're going to be judged on your faithful service to the Lord? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 and 12 that the selfish works that were done with wrong motives are going to be burned up. There's wood, hay, and stubble. They're just going to be burned up. And the works that last with great value to the Lord, that they're going to survive and they're going to be like gold, silver, and precious stones the Bible talks about. So these are rewards that are going to be given to you by God for your service that was done without selfish ambition. Hallelujah. And these rewards the Bible calls in Revelation 3 and 11 crowns. Calls them crowns that will be given by Jesus and it will be given not, uh, not for uh, uh, wrong motives but for that which was done with right motives unto the Lord. And, uh, and let me tell you what. I don't want to be standing before the Lord and he say, well... This poor guy gets nothing, my goodness. Here's an honorable mention, and he hands me a paper crown like you get at Burger King. You know, I don't want that. I want to serve the Lord and honor the Lord and worship the Lord and give unto the Lord without your applause, without your, your giving me my reward. You know, when somebody says, oh, look how great it is, you, maybe you brag on something you did for the Lord, and they say, man, you're just such an awesome man or woman of God. That's it. That's all the reward you get. And in two minutes, they're already in some kind of conversation on a social media uh, app somewhere, and they done forgot all about you. So you got your little tiddling, tiddling moment of, of pleasure, and that's it. But I would rather do it as unto the Lord and let the Lord reward us. So as we give and we serve and we honor and we witness and we testify and we advance the kingdom of God and we, we live right, we want to do it because as we're doing it as unto, as unto the Lord, not to be getting the applause of men, not to get somebody, somebody to hand us a certificate or something to say how great we are. God said, I'm going to make that judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to reward you for your faithfulness and your service unto me. Hallelujah. So I pray that every one of you will have to have, it, it, you know, heaven's for eternity. So if it takes, you know, 37 days for them to go, him to go through the list of the rewards and the crowns that he's given you, or 37 years, that's fine, that's fine. Because we've got an eternity to do it. I just don't want you to get there and say, you know, Pastor never mentioned this. I didn't know. I, I, got every, I did it for man's applause and what I did, I wanted somebody to pat me on the back for it and now I'm standing here and I'm getting an honorable mention. I don't know that you'll get an honorable mention, but I'm just saying, okay. So there's the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's another judgment. It's called the judgment of the nations. In Matthew 25, 31 uh, through 46, it says, After the tribulation, 
The Lord Jesus is going to sit in judgment over the Gentile nations. And they will be judged according to their treatment of Israel during the tribulation. And this judgment is also called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And, and that talks about, uh, you know, Jesus talks about on the uh, Olivet Discourse. And here he shows uh, those who showed faith in God by treating Israel favorably, giving aid and comfort to them during the tribulation, are the sheep, and he says the goats will, uh, and, and, and the sheep, he says, they will receive a reward uh, to be a part of the millennial kingdom here on this earth, but the goats, he says, they're going to be consigned to hell. So there's this judgment of the nations that Jesus does of, of how nations even conduct themselves during the tribulation. And then there's the judgment of angels. There's not a whole lot in the Bible about this one except 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 says, Paul tells us that we as Christians are going to judge angels. So that tells me that, and there's other scriptures that says this, that we were created in the image of God and we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we're higher than angels. So don't do your loved one a disservice by saying God just took another angel or he needed another angel when they pass away. I know it sounds good. I've said it myself before. Lord, please forgive me because we are really uh, lowering our loved one when we do that. If they're born again and a child of God, they're a son or daughter of God, they're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, they're above angels. And here he says that we will even be given the, the opportunity that we are to judge angels. There will be judgment of angels. And I'm assuming, because the Bible doesn't say it in detail, but I'm assuming that these are angels facing judgment will be the fallen angels. Okay? And, uh, you know, and it seems that Satan and his horde of demons are going to be judged by us. Actually, it says that we'll laugh when we actually see him. We'll laugh and say, that is what caused so much trouble? That right there? and they will be uh, cast into the eternal abyss. See, what has happened is, uh, before Jesus shed His blood, we had the shedding of blood of animals, and by faith, doing and obeying what God had said, when they would come in and they would offer an animal sacrifice for their sins, their sins were covered. Their sins were not cleansed, but their sin was covered. So they, with animal's blood, could not go when they died to heaven. So the Bible in the Old Testament talks about hell or Hades being an upper chamber and a lower chamber of Hades. And the upper chamber of Hades was called paradise. Some would call it Abraham's bosom. And that is where all the saints of the Old Testament and all those who were covered by four-legged lamb's blood who couldn't go before Father God in His holy uh, heaven with the animal's blood, had to have the blood of Jesus, a sinless blood, so they went to upper Hades or paradise. That's why Jesus told the thief that was on the cross that cried out to him. He said, today you will be with me in paradise, in upper Hades. And the Bible says when Jesus died, you know that, that King James translation, he went into hell and set the captives free. I've heard preachers preach, but Jesus went and had the best revival ever. Billy Graham, nothing to compare to the revival Jesus had in hell where all those evil ones that had went on before uh, in the Old Testament got saved. That's not what that means. He went into upper Hades, which is hell, upper Hades, paradise, and he set the captives free. Everyone that was still held captive that couldn't be ushered into the very presence of, of, of eternal God because the blood of a four-legged lamb could not pay the price. It took the blood of a two-legged lamb, a sinless lamb, a spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus went and set the captives free and took them into uh, heaven. So that's where they're even at today. But the Bible says then Hades was expanded for the unrighteous. So now this holding place of hell that the rich young ruler tells us is a hot place, is a place where there's great thirst, there is torture and torment there, that is not the final uh, end of it all. All of them will stand before, number five, the great white throne judgment. You can put that one up, number five. The great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 where it's the final judgment of unbelievers for their sins that occurred to the end of the millennium. So those that have set things in motion and, and their sin is still affecting people today, they're going to be judged for that. Even though they're, they're in hell now, there's going to be a final judgment at the great white throne judgment and all the telling and all the righteousness is going to be done and then they and hell itself is going to be cast into the eternal abyss, the, the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, the Bible talks about. And uh, so you and I will be a part of the judgment of angels or there's demons that are going, but here Jesus is going to bring judgment on the, at the great white throne judgment for all unbelievers and they are going to be consigned to the lake of fire. Wow, man, when you look at the whole thing, you can go back to what the psalmist said where he will rule his kingdom with a scepter of righteousness and justice, that God is going to balance the books, but he can't balance the books in the great white throne judgment for uh, the judgment of evil because some of the evil that people had uh, started uh, and, and now they've been dead for 50, 100, 200 years is still affecting people, things that they've done, and that's still going to be accounted to them. And on the good side of it, when you go to that second one, the judgment seat of Christ, that can't take place till later because everything good that we've done is still going from generation to generation. There were a people that believed God in the early 70s or late 60s to buy this property when God said, move out there on Centerville Turnpike. No one knew this place even existed. It was farm. It was a little two-lane road, uh, narrower than Elbow Road with ditches right off of the side of the road. And uh, who would come out here? But God sent them out here to buy this land because he had a, a ministry of touching lives and changing generations and changing families, even like ours. And, and those folks, some of them are dead and gone on, but they're yet to get a reward for their obedience of helping give us a place that we could come in and go to the next level of what God has called us to do. Amen. So this is just an example of what you do. You're not going to get, you're not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ when you first die and go to heaven. There is that time that he's going to bring you in when it's all the books have been balanced and all the good that you've done has come to that point and that's where the rewards are going to be handed out. And in the negative, the same is true with the great white throne judgment where those that are in hell will stand before that great white throne judgment and receive their final judgment and be cast into the eternal lake of fire along with hell, Satan, demons, and all of that. Remembering that none of that was ever created for uh, unbelievers. It was created for Satan and his demons. But the Bible says for those who don't place their faith in Christ, they come under that same judgment. The question today is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord, meaning he rules and reigns? If so, he's your Savior. And he saves you from these negative judgments that are yet to come 
and aligns you for this positive judgment that is yet to come, the judgment seat of Christ. And he's accomplished all of this so that we don't even have to figure it out all by ourselves. He has given us his very spirit to walk us through this. In uh, John 16, the Bible says, verse 7 and through 11, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now let me wrap up with this. This is so important. He said, I must go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That word helper, parakletos, the one that comes along, para, comes alongside to be your strength. It's a, a, a splint that comes alongside your broken leg to help you walk. He says, I'm giving you help to walk this out. I'm going to give you divine assistance to walk in what I've created you to do. Hallelujah. He says, so the, the, he says, he will not come if I don't go. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, look, he will convict the world of sin. Oh, Holy Spirit, we don't want to grieve you in our lives. We don't want to grieve you in our homes. We don't want to grieve you in our hearts. We want you to do what you've come to do. And if there's sin in my life, bring conviction, Lord. Convict me of my sin. Show me where I err. Show me where I'm stepping wrong. Show me where I'm speaking wrong. Show me, Lord. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The judgment of sin because they do not believe in me the judgment of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Holy Spirit has come to guide us, to direct us, to help us make the divine exchange. Jesus came and took our judgment on Him so that the blessing might come on us. But there has to be that divine exchange. And how does it come? When we come and yield our lives to Him and call on Him as Lord and we call on Him as Savior. Hallelujah. Where are you at today? Have you been caught up in play in church? Have you been caught up in a rut of church? Have you been caught up maybe even not even considering church? Maybe you don't even understand, but today you do, that God has made a plan and He's going to execute and He's going to fulfill that plan in our lives. But we have to align ourselves with His plan. He's not going to alter His plan to come and align Himself with us. We have to align ourselves with Him. And the Holy Spirit is here to help you do just that right now. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we stand in your presence here this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is righteous. Your word is light shining on our path to, so that we know how to walk in the way that you would have us to walk. And Lord, as we stand here, having studied these judgments past, the judgments present, and the judgments that are yet to come, Lord God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in, that you would fill us afresh and anew, that you, Holy Spirit, would come and guide and direct. You, Holy Spirit, would come and strengthen us so that we can walk in the way that is pleasing to the Lord. 
and show us if there's sin in our life. Show us where we have missed the mark. Show us today that we might identify that area, that we might repent, that we might seek your forgiveness, Lord, that we might turn from it and turn to you so that we don't continue in that way. What are you saying to us, Holy Spirit? What are you saying to us now? Spirit of the living God, you're speaking to each and every person. Just asking, church, just asking now. Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Ask him, say, Holy Spirit, is there an area in my life that I need to make an adjustment? Is there an area in my life that I need to repent? Is there an area in my life that I need to turn from right now? Show it to me, Lord. Show it to me, Lord. Word of God says that if you will confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, which in essence is you declaring that I have surrendered my will, I have surrendered my way, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. Jesus, you're my Lord. You rule, you reign, you sit on the, on the very seat of my heart. The throne of my life belongs to you. I am here living my life to honor you to serve you, to worship you, to bless you, to bring favor and glory unto you, Lord God. Jesus, Jesus, you're my Lord. The Bible says if you sincerely confess Jesus as your Lord and yield your life to Him and believe that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That salvation takes care of the judgment, the negative judgment. That salvation takes care of the condemnation. That, 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 that salvation takes care of you in Christ. But you must confess His Lordship. And you must believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. So I ask you now, have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Maybe not a historical moment we're looking at. I mean, right now, is He your Lord? If He's not, bow your heart to Him now. Yield to Him now. Surrender to Him now. Place your faith in Him now. He has a great plan for you. He has a great purpose for you. He has a great life for you. But you must give your life to Him. He will not take it. You must give it. So make him Lord right now. Say, Jesus, Jesus, I declare your lordship over my life because I believe that God has raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive, and I want you to live in me and live through me now as I yield my life to you. Hallelujah. The Bible says if you've made a confession of faith and such, that you have been transformed out of darkness in the light, that the old is passed away, you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you now can receive the fullness of the Spirit of God to come and dwell in your temple, to guide you, to empower you, and lead you into a very fruitful and blessed life in the Lord. So now say, Jesus, Jesus, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. You said that I should tarry until I receive from power on high, that I might be a part of the church, that the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. So I open my heart and I open my life as a vessel, as a temple to be filled with your spirit. Fill me. Just ask him. Fill me. Father God, give me the gift of the spirit of your, your very presence, Lord God, in fullness and in measure, overflowing like rivers of living water. Fill me this day that I might go into this week and that I might bring about advancement for your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. For it is in Jesus' name I pray. Go ahead and say it. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and hallelujah. Come on, give God a big hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.